0: Our scripture reading this evening is on the book of Ezekiel. As we start a new series on that book, we'll begin by reading chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. I wonder if Ezekiel is unknown enough to warrant telling you that on the Pew Bible, it's page 692. So if you're looking for it, you find Isaiah or Jeremiah keep going. If you reach Daniel, you've gone too far. Go back a little bit. This is also, should also be the moment to tell you that as we start the series, we are not be covering the entire book. It's not going to be 48 sermons, to say the least. Uh, we're going to go slow a little bit, see the first chapters, and then move on a little bit quicker. But I do plan to cover the entire message of Ezekiel in all its weirdness, but all of its gospel content. And to assure some of you who already asked, yes, we will talk about the wheels within the wheels. But that's for next week. For now, let us read Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 1, to 3. Receive this with faith and with hope and with love. This is the word of God to you, thus says the Lord. In the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kebar. Kebar Canal, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kebar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him There. Mari and I never thought that when we decided to move abroad to come to the U.S., we would be putting ourselves in what could be described as voluntary exile. Yet after four years and a global pandemic that closed the borders between the U.S. and Brazil for most of that time, this idea of living in exile was never clearer to us than when we celebrated our daughter Elizabeth's first birthday two weeks ago. We had scheduled a party to celebrate, mostly because my mother, my two siblings, and my grandma had tickets to come and visit us. Grandma especially would see her great-granddaughter for the first time. Well, a Ponzi scheme and an airline going bankrupt later, I think you all know that they never came. And the sad reality of our distance was heightened at the beginning of Elizabeth's party when a guest would come, would arrive and say, I'm sorry for your family, and hug me. I would cry a little bit before the next guest would come and say, hey, I'm sorry for your family, and so on and so forth, as if we were at a funeral, not a birthday party. Don't get me wrong, Mari and Elizabeth and I had a great time at that party, and be assured we do love our life here in the U.S., and especially at Trinity, who has become our family. Still, the attentive hearer will notice that this is not my first sermon that begins with an illustration of our perceived exile status, and I fear that this won't be the last But this is, at least to me, just another tale of my family feeling concretely, something which I believe characterizes the life of all believers, the feeling of distance and alienation from a better life that we were created for. With that, in my mind, my thoughts, of where to go after preaching through Esther, we're heavily drawn to the book of Ezekiel. To summarize the whole book and it's all its 48 chapters, the book of Ezekiel is a challenging and sometimes unsettling text that communicates God's word to his people during their exile in the land of Babylon. It is God's word for those who do not live in God's promised land and can only dream of it. And when you think about it this way, it then becomes God's word for you and for me. Through a tapestry of enigmatic visions and unconventional symbolic actions, the wheels within the wheels, Ezekiel offers a profound insight into God's presence, even in suffering and exile. Amidst the unusual and the unexpected, we find at the core of the book of Ezekiel a message of hope and restoration. Despite a rebellion, God promises to redeem and to restore his people. Ultimately, the book of Ezekiel contains and conveys the gospel of redemption, of transformation, and of hope that we only find, of course, in our Lord Jesus Christ. But before we dive into some of the sometimes befuddling mysteries of this book, its first three almost mundane verses already set the tone for the whole, I believe. What we'll see tonight as we begin this new series by looking at the book's introduction is a simple Yet as profound as this, God's word comes for those in exile. Again, this is the message of our text, and I believe the message of the entire book. God's word comes for those in exile. We will look and unpack this tonight in two points. And the first is, we are all living in exile away from God. That's the first thing we can see from these three verses. We are all living in exile away from God. Like I said, our text begins with a summary of the context of the book, and it mentions a 30th year without saying of what. The meaning of this 30-year mark is not immediately apparent. Still, I'm convinced by, I was actually convinced by some good commentators, that this probably refers to Ezekiel's age, when the heavens opened before his eyes. And since we're speaking of birthday parties, we can see that Ezekiel's 30th was kind of a blast. <laughs> this detail of Ezekiel's age at the beginning of the book would be significant if it is to interpret so as I think it is. Because we read in verse 2 that he was the son of Buzi, the priest. In other translations, the others say Ezekiel the priest, son of Buzi. Because, as we read in Numbers four, the the ones eligible for the office of priest in Israel had to be at least thirty years of age. They could start some work at twenty-five, but to be the priest, you had to be at least thirty. So, looking through that lens, Ezekiel has now finally would would be finally able to follow his father's footsteps and become a priest himself that's where he is at the beginning of this book however as we keep reading it comes quite soon verse 2 the text makes it clear to us that a while ago 5 years to be precise ezekiel's career path was derailed the time for him to come to become a priest at the temple in jerusalem had come yes yet here is ezekiel at the margins of a river, of a river, Kabar, in Babylon. So you should ask, why is he there then and not in the temple? Well, the text gives us the answer. Five years before, as you can read all about it in Second Kings 24, King Jehoiachin was defeated by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar and was deported to Babylon along with some people like Ezekiel. This was only the beginning, of course, of the whole matter of the exile for the kingdom of Judah. Five years after this point in history, after, after these three verses, roughly 598 before Christ, Nebuchadnezzar, and apparently I pick books to preach based on the difficulty of pronouncing kings' names, finally ravaged Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and he would exile the remainder of the southern kingdom of Judah. So here we are. Ezekiel spent his whole life, 25 years, living around the temple, a true Old Testament son of the man, so to speak, getting to know his father's tools of the trade until his day would come to do that himself. Yet, when the time came, probably the best summary of Ezekiel's situation as it is right now could be found in the first verses of Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there Our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? This could easily have been written by Ezekiel. And if we are to understand Ezekiel's message, says one commentator, we must seek to understand what it means to the people of his day to be in exile. Because you see, exile is not merely living abroad for four years without seeing mom and dad as much as it looked like. Exile was a removal from under Israel's feet of everything that gave meaning to their existence. Tamara Askenazi, a Jewish scholar, expresses what it means to live in exile in these words. She says, Exile. It is not being without roots. On the contrary, it is having deep roots which have now been plucked up. And there you are, with roots dangling, writhing in pain, exposed to a cold and jeering world, longing to be restored to native and nurturing soil. Exile is knowing precisely where you belong but knowing that you can't go back. Exile is knowing precisely where you belong but knowing that you can't go back. This is life in exile for Ezekiel and all the others who are in Babylon. The people of God living far from Mount Zion and the worship at the temple. They are 750 miles east of their land, their people, their identity. Because Israel went farther and farther away from God's presence spiritually, they are now geographically removed from his sight. Because of sin and rebellion, they are cast away to the east. And my choice of words is not random. Being cast away to the east of their place should remind us of something or particular someone's. Isn't this Adam and Eve all over again? Think of Adam and Eve, born and raised from the dust in Genesis 1 and 2, called by God to guard and protect creation, almost, almost as if they were priests. And they could have lived in paradise their entire lives, walking and talking with God face to face at the turn of the day, around this time. Yet by the end of Genesis 3, because of sin and rebellion, they are wandering east of Eden. And that, of course, as you are all aware, is our story too. As we inherit and share in the sin, in their sin from the womb, as we heard this morning, we are also forbidden from returning to paradise to walk with God. As we inherit and share the wages of condemnation and sin, of sin, we are all wandering east of Eden with only a cold pang in our hearts, the feeling of have lost something that we can't quite describe what it was. And even if you never had to leave your country or your state of birth because of war, violence, of, or famine, which are the usual suspects for exile, we all live exile lives when we realize that nothing in this world can save us from the enduring and chronic pain and death awaiting us at the end. When, as someone once said, we realize that Amazon Prime does not guarantee next-day delivery of peace and rest. You realize that nothing in this world can satisfy your deepest longings. A great American poet and why not prophet, Paul Simon, put into words this sense of alienation and disorientation when he wrote, I don't know a soul who's not being battered, I don't have a friend who feels at ease. I don't know a dream that's not been shattered or driven to its knees. And if this is the world that we live in, as it becomes clearer and clearer as we look at this text in our reality of exile, how can we endure this? How can we endure the daily trenches of this strange old world? Well, when tragedy strikes and we feel our roots dangling and exposed, I think we should, at least for a while, sit, weep, and mourn. Just as we read in Psalm 137. Because you see, psalms of lament like this one and many others were put in the Bible to comfort us by simply reminding us that it is okay to weep and mourn. It is okay for us to do what we do here every Sunday evening. When we come, we share our burdens with one another We share the burdens of those who are so burdened that they cannot even be here, so we do it for them. And while we pray for them, we cry and we weep when we face the pain and death that afflicts our loved ones. And let me tell you, it is okay to mourn and grieve and weep And to not think this is all normal, because when the Word of God reminds us of our exile, it also highlights for us the incongruity, the difference between our present and the lives we were made for. Friends, let me tell you this. We were not made for this life as it is. We were not made for Babylon. We were not made for exile This world is not our final home. We were not made for war, for famine, for violence. We were not made for death. We were not made for lung cancer, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Here, We do not have an enduring city, says the author of Hebrews. But we are looking for the city that is to come. This is the first thing we see in the first verses of Ezekiel. We are all living as if in exile. We are here because of sin and rebellion against God We suffer the consequences of our sins and the misery of living in a broken world. But also, as we've seen, living in exile means realizing that we are not where we should be. So how do we get out of here? Again, how can we live like this? Is there a way back to what we lost? We'll see that in our final point this evening. God reaches out to those who need him the most. Again, God reaches out to those who need him the most. We find a second perspective. We need to understand the book of Ezekiel besides the context of exile and the calling of the prophet. After all, as someone said, by the end of the day, when he should have become a priest, Ezekiel has been called to be a prophet. In our text, we see five expressions that highlight the otherworldly nature of this experience we are all about to embark together with young Ezekiel. Verses one, verse 1 says that, one, the heavens were open, and two, that he saw visions of God. The curtains of reality were swung open for the man Ezekiel to see the heavenly divine courts. Ezekiel will get a glimpse and live to tell us about the spiritual reality far above and beyond the sad sights of the Babylonian rivers. What a party. Thirdly, in verse 3, we read that the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, which is a traditional Old Testament formula describing, describing the official prophetical calling, which means that whatever comes after this, when, whenever Ezekiel opens his mouth to talk to his people and to us, he can say before it, thus says the Lord. He is the mouthpiece of our God. Fourth, at the end of verse 3, we read that the hand of the Lord was upon him. And this, it's more than just a friendly pat on the back. The idea here is pressure, compulsion. We know, if you're familiar with the book, that that task to confront his people with their sins that brought them to exile won't be easy. But as he was with prophet Jonah, for example, God will not let his prophet deviate from his task, his hand will be there guiding him along. So these first four expressions help us to understand the weight of the task to which Ezekiel is being called. But still there's one last word in these verses that tie together all the wonder and the strangeness of this call It's a word that puts into perspective the entire book and how we should read and understand it today, almost 260 years, 2,600 years later, and 6,000 miles apart. It is the last word of verse 3. It's the word there. You see, while some of us were mildly surprised to discover. That God is never named or mentioned in the Book of Esther. That was not surprising to any of its original readers, in the sense that no one, no true Hebrew, would expect Yahweh, the God of Israel, to appear in Persia. So then, now in Ezekiel three, Ezekiel 1, 1, 1.3 was undoubtedly a big surprise to any original rivers, readers. Wait, God appeared. Where in Babylon are you saying God can stoop so low as to speak to his people at the margins of a Babylonian minor river after all they did? Yes, the answer is yes. And this is precisely the reality that will make sense of this passage and this entire book. Because, again, on the one hand, the people of God are in exile. Jerusalem will be leveled. The temple destroyed. Because of centuries and generations of idolatry, God did what he told them he would do if they did not obey him. He brought judgment upon their sin, upon them sinners were left to pay for the penalty of their own sins and no one could blame god for exile however still yet nevertheless god does not forget his promises god does not abandon his people god reaches those who could never reach back to him there is where god appears so god in this moment before ezekiel pulls back the curtain that separates heaven and earth and sends word from up there to thus to those here below of course not because israel or judah did anything good we know but because God is merciful and His steadfast covenantal love endures forever. And then we read that the people who lived in darkness, as says another prophet, has seen great light. God comes and speaks to those who live in Babylon, those who are sitting and weeping and mourning by the Kebar Canal. And this my friends, this realization is a true anchor of our hope. God comes and God speaks to us exiles. While we have seen in the previous point that weeping and mourning are a normal part of our exilic existence, that is not all. Our hope is not in our capacity to endure hardship As another contemporary prophet once said, it is what it is, is not in the Bible. Our hope is found in Him who comes to where we are. And this, my friends, is the gospel according to Ezekiel. At its very core, this book is about the God who punishes sin, yes, but who comes also and speaks and reaches out to those who live under its consequences. And when we think about God like that, where else could we go to see this better than in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to us? In the fullness of time, the living Word of God that was in the beginning with God, who was God, and through whom and for whom all things were made, came to us in our exile long ago. To quote Hebrews again, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us. By his son. Jesus Christ, friends, is the word of God that came here. The light that shines in our Babylonian darkness. He was the one who left paradise, the paradise of his heavenly throne, to walk among us as just another exile, suffering pain, death, violence, and hunger. To identify with our low estate, and to pay for our exile-inducing idolatry with his life. But then he came back from the death, from death, and in his human body, fully human and fully God, he rose again to new life. And like we read, similarly here, he tears down the barrier between heaven and earth, the barrier that prevented us from coming back home. And a while before he left, he promised to come back to be with us and to restore all of reality to what it should always have been. And when you grasp this, when you understand that this is the message of the gospel, when you put your hope and your faith in him who came and who will come back again, it completely changes, or it should completely change, the way you live here in exile. So hypothetically, like a Brazilian living in the U.S. who daily opens Brazilian news websites to see what's going on back home, wouldn't you want, if you saw a reality like this, to hear from him from home daily and be encouraged by the news of the new heavens and the new earth that he has promised? Well, there is a place there you can go to do that. So this is why, for example, we make the top priority at this church to find ourselves constantly diving into the book that tells us the good news about our homes from which we should never have left. This is why we gather weekly with other fellow exiles to share our burdens, to walk together, to encourage one another This is why we make our business here, to look for opportunities to get a taste of what we will be like when we are finally brought back to our renewed and restored home. And let me tell you, the family gather at the table for a meal will be way larger than what we can fit in the tables of Second Sunday Lunch. That is why we are here tonight. If you truly believe that the summary of who we are made for is to glorify and enjoy God forever, well, you came to the right place tonight. When we see our exile lives, our lives in exile under this perspective, Sunday worship ceases to be a burden that you endure just to keep the appearances and becomes a resting oasis from the trenches of day-to-day life in exile that you spend six days a week craving for. It becomes the place where we come and we renew our hopes of returning home. And home to us is where God is. Until then, until He returns to be with us in our new homes, we come back here every Sunday to meet the word of God who gave himself for us so heaven would be open to us to go back home. Until he returns, we keep spreading the word to those who still live in darkness and invite them to share with us in the joy of longing for what we were made for. Until he returns, we come to him to Him. Every week our praises bringing Christ the Lord has come to earth. Let us pray. God, almighty protector of all those who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy, increase and multiply on us your mercy. That with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporal and finally obtain things eternal. Grant this, Heavenly Father, for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose mighty name we pray and together we say, Amen.